go. You are listening to Rumination Thursday, Law and Gospel, on this August the 19th in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me is Pastor Wes Reimnitz. And what we're going to be talking about is something that is on the minds of a number of individuals concerning the Christian population in Afghanistan. If the U.S. is pulling out of Afghanistan, what difference does it make? And the best way to understand it is to understand the heavily heavily armed Taliban fighters. Is that correct, Pastor Reimnitz? I think that was a great summer, uh, summary. You're spot on. Yes. Who are the Taliban? Well, the Taliban grew out of two distinct movements. One was uh, the uh, Mujahideen fighters who opposed uh, the Russians when they came in. The Mujahideen fighters liberated uh, Afghanistan and forced out the, the Soviets in 1979. And it was founded by a mullah. Mohammed Omar Mullah is kind of like their president priest, so to speak, yes. in in '94. And before we get to what caused him then, the likelihood it was he was probably schooled at one of the religious schools under Dio Bundy Islamic theology. Diobandi is a, is a town in India, about 100 miles north of New Delhi, or Delhi, India, and uh, formed in 1866. And they had a, any, any number, they had that main seminary that grew. Uh, it took 10 years to get a degree there, but it grew over in Pakistan along the Afghan border with three-year schools, and there's a good good possibility that that's where that mullah uh, um, was uh, schooled in as an imam. And uh, in 94, the Mujahideen were raping young women, and they came to their aid, and they quickly spread through through the country thereafter. Now, when you say seminaries, these weren't teaching Christianity, were they? No, it, it was the religious, the other way to put it is, they were religious schools of the Islamic uh, tradition. Yes. Yeah, it indicates that um, originally they had a narrow interpretation of Isla Islamic Sharia law, but then by 1998, uh, they issued their own harsh and sometimes esoteric interpretation of Islamic life. And that was even more difficult. What, what happened to women? Well, women were, were taken from public life. Uh, uh, a thing to remind yourself of when, when looking at this uh, Taliban and the Ospandic Islamic theology is, is how that, that's, that school got started in India. It was first against uh, uh, liberal interpretation of, of is Islamic influence. In, in, in other words, 
they wanted to form a zeal to indoctrinate Muslim youth with Islamic values. Second, which which kind of falls into what we're running into, is uh, was a hatred for the British because the British had put down an 1857 revolt. And 1866, 67 comes this uh, religious Islamic school, and then in then in the 20th century, uh, they the British leave in 1947, and so then the Pakistanis and the Indians fight each other. That comes down to the Soviets and fighting against Muslims. And the Soviets leave, and the Taliban come in, and with the Al Qaeda, Osama bin Laden, and then the U.S. Uh, invades Afghanistan, and so then it's Western influence. So, first is indoctrinate into Islamic faith. Second is get rid of the Western influence. So that meant women were excluded from public life. They were barred from working, studying, confined to their homes unless accompanied by a male guardian. The republic executions and floggings were common. In other words, if somebody was was caught stealing, according to Sharia law, you should cut off their hand. Um, they were banning Western films and books. Cultural artifacts were seen as blasphemous under Islamic Islam and were destroyed. Yes, um, until I received the material from you, I did not realize that the word Taliban actually means the students. And they were the ones that really were not only against the Russians, but afterwards tried to bring peace to Afghanistan. Yes, and but you have to remember that their, their form of students came out of this the uh, Obande the uh, theology that they had, Islamic theology, which is uh, really a, the, the narrow interpretation of of uh, Sharia law, and the narrow interpretation, pure what they call pure interpretation of the Quran. Yes, um, lately since last summer, where they had the lightning conquest of Afghanistan including the capital, Kabul, there have been worrying indications that little may have changed as images showing women have been pointed out, guards reportedly posted outside of the homes of prominent women, including politicians, and opponents have reportedly been murdered. So that's the yeah. kind of government that these people are going to be moving. Exactly. Uh, already, you see on the news where where beauty salons or hair salons that uh, Afghan women went to are painted over. The signage is taken down, uh, and they're going house to house looking for women over the age of fifteen and and widows under the age of forty five for marriages with the Afghan soldiers. Wow. So the women don't have much of a choice. 
No, they, I mean, they talk like uh, they're going to uh, honor the rights of women. This, this, you know, we look at it from a humanitarian sort of speak in human rights. They're looking at it from the theology of, of the Quran and what the Quran has to say and Sharia law has to say. This provides us an opportunity to make a big distinction as to how Christianity regards the secular world as in contrast to the Taliban. What's the biggest difference? Well, we, we don't legislate, uh, um, I guess, we, um, we don't legislate the, the, the morality in a sense that we're, if somebody breaks the law, we're going to go cut off their, their hand. Uh, it, it is, uh, well, work righteousness, you get right down to it. Uh, they're, they're working on a form of work righteousness on how one appeases God. Yes. Particularly in Lutheran theology, we have the doctrine of the two kingdoms, and that's referring to God's rule over secular matters and God's rule over spiritual matters. And we in the church, our task is not to make the government Christian. It's to make people Christian, but we do not get involved in politics unless they're dealing with clear statements from the scripture, such as against homosexuality, abortion, and the like. But if, if we're talking about, well, should we sell the Panama Canal, or what are the tax rates, that's not something the church, as church, is interested in. Christians as citizens may be interested in that, and fight one way or the other. Now, I don't know about your congregations, but the congregation I served for 28 years, the majority of individuals there were Democrats, but they were pro-life and very good when it came to those kinds of uh, ethical uh, understandings because they knew what the church was about. So that's a big difference. They take their religion and attempt to impose it on people. That's why they said women have to stay at home. And if they go outside, they have to be with a older gentleman, maybe their father or a brother, because they believe that the freedom of women led to a lot of immorality in Afghanistan. Right. And, and really, good point that you're bringing up, because in, in the, uh, the life of Jesus, in, in a sense, he promoted women uh, in, in that they were equally saved as, as, as the male. Yes. Now, there was a time in, well, the history of the church, where the church thought that it could be involved in secular matters. Mm. And you know what I'm talking about, don't you? 
Sure, it's the Holy Roman Empire and uh, Roman Catholics trying to bring it about. Guys like John Huss were burned at the stake for talking about freedom of uh, and, and faith as a foundation of, of the church. And what happened to Martin Luther almost? Well, Martin Luther was was under the band of death for yes. bringing up such matters. And if anyone had put him to death, they would not be prosecuted. Yeah. In fact, there was a reward put on his head as well. In other words, the Roman Catholic Church at the time of Luther, there was a huge difference when the Reformation began to be coming forth because it got rid of the idea that the church could tell the secular government how to run their business, especially when the Bible was not at stake. And that wasn't yeah. true at that time. Well, you have to keep in mind, though, that Luther taught the, the three, what we call the three hierarchies, the family, the church, and government. And he, he, he of course, as, as you point out, said that the, that uh, the church should not run the government, but it was the church's responsibility to teach uh, both family and church, or family and government, what were its proper roles. And, and that's why so many Christians are pro-life and very open about it, because at this time we're living in a country that thinks the murder of children in the womb is no problem. And that, of course, is quite ridiculous. Right. And uh, another thing, too, is we, we talk about the Taliban and this, this uh, Tiban theology of, of Islam, is they believe that in the jihad, the jihad is a, is a holy war called by some mullah or imam. And... Uh, there should be a jihad to help every Muslim in any country that they find so that uh, they, they should spread it to cover Muslims here in the United States, Europe, you name it. Now, you mentioned Diobandi Islam. And so could you explain a little bit about what it argues? What it argues? There's, there's, I, I put it down to two two basic things that I ran across. Is uh, it was in response? It was formed in 1866 in, in response to the 1857 revolt in India. Uh, the British were in control of, of India, and what also became known as Pakistan, and. Uh, they, they failed, so they formed a school for for two basic reasons. One is to indoctrinate Muslim youth with Islamic values. In other words, the narrow interpretation of Sharia law, the, the pure, what they call their pure understanding of the Quran, and second, uh, hatred towards any non-Islamic influence, first the British, the in Pakistan and India, and then Soviets, and now the Western USA. 
Yes. Yes. Um, Dioban is actually a town about 100 miles north of Delhi, where a right. religious school was established, as you said, in 1867. And uh, the tradition of Diobandi is older than that, but that's where it was finally established. And the Dioban school has long sought to purify Islam by discarding supposedly un-Islamic accretions to the faith and re-emphasizing the models established in the Quran and the customary practices of the Prophet Muhammad. Can you give any examples of uh, those changes? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you mean uh, in their lifestyle? Uh, they, just right. what we discussed before about uh, the women uh, being excluded from public life. In fact, not only did they have to cover their, their bodies with with scars or what they call burkas, too, they had to, they were only uh, only allowed to be out in public as long as a male relative was went along, and school was forbidden to them after the age of ten. In fact, what's going on now is as they find these single girls, they're sending them to Pakistan to the religious school for Islamic indoctrination for a couple of years before they're set off as brides. Yes. And that's also where the idea comes about. A Muslim executing a Christian is not wrong. Right. They're infidels. Any, anyone who is not a, a Muslim is an infidel. The, the, you know, did you know that, found this out the other day, that Jesus is mentioned 73 times in the Book of Congress. Uh, of the Quran, but none is salvation through him. Right. Yes. You mentioned as a great man and this sort of thing. For those in Diobandi, they hold that a Muslim's first loyalty is to his religion and only then to the country of which he is a citizen or a resident. And secondly, that Muslims recognize only the religious frontiers and not the national frontiers. And thirdly, that they have a sacred right and obligation to go to any country to wage jihad to protect the Muslims of that country. Now, are we seeing some of that? beginning to occur in the United States? Well, <laughs> we saw it at 9-11, didn't we? We're in the 20th year anniversary of 9-11 where they plowed two jets into the Twin Towers there in New York. Excellent example to remind us of this. So if we are leaving Afghanistan and we're not going to be giving any guidance there, then this Dioban school will be trying to purify Islam by discarding supposedly un-Islamic accretions to the faith and really trying to return to the customary practices 
of the Prophet Muhammad. So yeah, I I think that's a good point that you bring out because uh, it is kind of captured uh, not just in Af in Afghanistan but other parts of the world. You know, they have over twenty two hundred fifty thousand legal opinions coming out of the Quran and this this limited theology of Islam or the Sharia law by Dibande, uh clarifies it and that's why it's kind of captured the imagination. So a return to Muhammad would not be good because of his, well, desire to wage Yihad, which is often war, against countries that are contrary to the message of the Quran. Yeah, well, it's, it's salvation by works. You, you got a you got a choice. You say Muslim is Allah is the true God versus uh, you know salvation by faith through through Christ. So it's either or. Well, during the past weeks, we've talked about persecution against Christians in a number of areas. We talked about it in Japan, where now they are ordaining women. In Finland, where pastors were under persecution. In London, in Canada, and I think we could give some examples in the United States where people are shouted down when they speak the word of God or not allowed to speak. So this is becoming a worldwide problem. Right. And, you know, of course, uh, not to forget uh, Finland. Um, Issues is going to interview Harrison on Friday with some of the persecutions that's going on in Finland. As well as Japan. Japan, yeah. And what makes us so sad about Japan is that we basically, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, had a big hand in making a church in Japan. And now this same church is rejecting the word of God for the word of man. Yeah, it goes to show you. I mean, you're reading Kings and Chronicles, how the people left God and they were they were taken apart by false prophets claiming to to have that word of god and we see that today going on uh, of trying to take our our people or as paul says in timothy having their ears tickled by myths and other types of teachings this will have an impact on our missionaries overseas so we would encourage you to Support them as best as you can through the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, so more people will be there to share the gospel message, not a political message, but the gospel message of Jesus Christ until people come to realize the wonderful good news that we have in the Bible. Excellent. I, I, it's just perfect. Is, is we need to keep our missionaries in, in our prayers and, and Christians all over the place. I mean, like over in Haiti, 
we've got uh, Haitian Lutheran missions down there, and they're going through an awful time with with the earthquake and disasters that they're facing, and our need to support them as well as Christians across the land, especially over in Afghanistan, because they find them, they're going to kill them. Yes. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is widely known for giving help, like you were saying in Haiti. We've got people down there really trying to help dig people out from the bad weather they're having, etc. And a number of them died from this last kind of tragedy. Yeah. You know, uh, the Haitian Lutheran Church had died in the 1960s and was brought back in the, the 1970s and 80s by a missionary by a missionary from Haiti who went to school at our Fort Wayne Seminary and graduated and went back and mission to his people. Wow. That's a really good story. Uh, but that's happening all over the world. I was just reading about in South America how people are really hearing the gospel message for the first time. And I, I didn't know if you realize this, but one of the biggest Lutheran seminaries is in South America. And yeah, so I know. Yeah, there my, are... my, uncle, my uncle taught there. You're kidding. No, my, uh, grandfather which... was a, my grandfather was a missionary down there. And that's where he met grandma and got married and then came back to the States. And then during World War II, one of them went back, was, went back down before they closed the borders. And that was Elmer who finished up there and also eventually was a professor and a pastor in Brazil. Wow. So you got some knowledge about that. We could talk oh, yeah. more about that, but we're at the end of our time. And so we thank those who listen to us. Let's pray for our Christians in Afghanistan. And on tomorrow's Law and Gospel, you can send in an email and ask any question on your mind, and we will attempt to answer it on Open Mic Friday. I'm Tom Baker, and that was Wes Reimnitz. Thank you for listening to us, and God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.